All right. First question of the day. Do's and don'ts of patients when they come in to physical therapy. Um, one of the big do's is make sure you do what you're supposed to be doing. You know, we'll see you on your first visit. We're going to give you some homework to do. want to make sure you're doing it. The only way for us to gauge whether or not things are going to be helpful for you is, is the fact that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. Um, don't lie to me about doing it mm-hmm. because you're going to be tested usually. And if you yeah. pass the test, great. If not, then we end up spending a lot of our time going over that same stuff that you should be working on at home and not allowing us to do the things we want to be doing in clinic. Sure. Um, don't, uh, don't whine about it. <laughs> don't whine about it. Okay. <laughs> um, there is going to be some discomfort with it. Um, we usually give you guidelines and directions to what is acceptable types of pain or soreness or discomfort. Um, but also at the same time, don't not tell me about pain that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Tell me about those things that you're experiencing and, and, if we need to modify and adjust what we're doing, then we can modify and adjust it so that it's going to be more efficacious in your treatment and you're going to be able to progress the way we want you to sure. progress. So when you say don't whine, you're meaning like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to do this exercise. It's not It's not that, oh, this hurts, right? Like you right, need to know right. that. Yeah, that yeah. I want to know. It's, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't, sure. Or, you know, sometimes we get patients come in and like, oh, I don't think this is going to help. This is not, you know, kind of whining about, you know, the feelings that, because they may be coming in, you know, somebody who works out in the gym quite a bit. Sure. Um, you know, they do a lot of heavy lifting. They're pretty familiar with exercise. And we have them do some smaller stuff to build some foundational principles or foundational strength on core muscles or, you know, whatever muscle in their body they want to address. Um, and they think it's small time. Yes. And they don't want to do it. And so, you know, when you come to therapy, trust the professional that's doing, that's evaluating you, seeing where your weaknesses are, seeing where your deficits are, and then allow us to treat you in the way that we feel is going to be best for you. Okay. Give your feedback. Yes. But you know, sure. No, I totally relate to the like starting slow and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like I know I can go. I know you just told me today that I can run in four months after surgery. And I'm like, I think it's two. I think it's two. (laughs) Um, okay. So guys, welcome to the all sports best podcast. Really appreciate you for checking out the, uh, the show today. We have Ben Freston on a physical therapist over at Carlsbad physical therapy. And we're going to talk about a lot of different things. And, uh, one of the reasons that I met Ben was because of, um, an ACL reconstruction surgery that I had. And so he's uh, actively treating me for that. So full disclosure. So there's no uh, liability on you. No HIPAA. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So actually, I wanted to start, uh, you know, this part of the segment with um, naming a method and you telling me whether you think or you've seen it work or not. Okay. okay? So um, float tank. I've not seen it. It's not something we have here locally. Um, any of my clinical internships we've had didn't have access to anything like that. So I haven't seen it. I understand the principle behind it, um, but I haven't looked into the research much on it at all because of the unavailability here okay. in this area. So Cryotherapy. Cryotherapy is effective. Um, there's a lot of research on it that supports it. Um, uh, we talked a little bit earlier. I think there's somebody in town that has uh, a cryotherapy pod um, and can be really helpful in that healing process, especially with those acute inflammatory issues that people experience on a regular basis. Okay. Um, cupping. Cupping is uh, good research on that to be effective in help uh, restoring blood flow to certain areas, reducing trigger points in muscles, tightness, and you know, things like that, and helping to increase the metabolic process of the muscle. So it's effective. Okay. I don't know if anybody can see it, but I have it on right now. KT tape. KT tape is effective. There's a lot of research that supports that and backs that up. 
really interesting. The the guy that invented it was a chiropractor. Oh, and, okay. Uh, um, has become well known. Um, and uh, a lot of different courses for KT taping. A lot of different other brands that are out there as well. You got Rock Tape is another big name that's mm -hmm. out there. Um, but effic efficacious. It's helpful. You see. And if you see athletes in the Olympics wearing KT tape, you can probably assume that <laughs> there's some research that backs that up. Yeah, that, no, that makes that. sense. Yeah. Might be one of the most redundant brands I've heard of. Yep. Kinesiology tape tape, right? Yeah. Isn't that what exactly. it is? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, dry needling. Uh, dry needling is very effective. There's a lot of research that backs that up and supports that. Um, very similar to one that people have heard or more commonly known as acupuncture. Okay. Um, Years and years of research that supports acupuncture. More recently, we've been getting more research that supports dry needling mm. um, in our field. And because they wouldn't, the uh, administration wouldn't allow us to be reimbursed for dry needling because all the research quoted acupuncture and not dry needling exactly. And so the research is now caught up. We're now able to be reimbursed for the dry needling as well. Um, so what it, you're doing is being recognized, essentially. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's now being recognized as being efficacious in the treatment and helping to reduce the symptoms and help um, achieve what the objective is of that treatment. It's called dry needling. It's like you put a needle through the skin. Mm -hmm. Is there blood that comes from that? Um, so the needle is like an acupuncture needle. We use acupuncture needles when we do this. Um, there's no opening. It's not like a hypodermic needle or anything like that. Nothing's being injected. Nothing's being drawn out. Um, some people will bleed a little bit when you take it out, but because the needle's so small, the oh. bleeding resolves really quick. You usually just put, apply a little bit of tissue and a little bit of pressure, and within three seconds, it's, it's oh, gone. Okay. Um, usually no bruising associated with it as well, but yeah, on occasion, a little bit of blood. Okay. <laughs> if, if you're queasy. <laughs> um, all right, so actually, I was going to ask you about acupuncture. Um, chocolate milk as a source of recovery. I've heard of chocolate milk way back when as being a recovery source after you know a good workout or something like that. I hadn't really looked into any of the research, yay or nay, as to whether it's effective or not. Mm. Again, I understand the principle behind it. There's supposed to be a, a ratio between carbohydrates and proteins to help sure. replenish your body from what you're depleting during activity and exercise. Um, but again, don't really know much about the research. I'm willing to just practice drinking it myself after exercise to see if it makes any difference to do my own research on yeah, myself. Yeah, there you but. go. <laughs> sure. Um, and then the last thing is one of the more viral things that's going on right now is um, ice, ice baths. Ice baths are good. Um, very similar to the cryotherapy. It just usually takes a little bit longer to cool the, the, the body tissues deeper down um, using an ice bath. Um, sure. You feel it probably a little more acutely doing an ice bath um, because of that, the moisture that you're getting it sends, seems to be a little bit more intense than the, the cryotherapy itself. You're only in the cryotherapy for you know three to five minutes, mm. whereas an ice bath, you're looking 10, 15 minutes in there, so it's a little bit longer. Um, and it hits your skin longer, it hits your maybe? Skin. Yeah. yeah, and again, the, the contact of the, the fluid on the skin versus the cold air on your skin is a little bit different okay. in your body's response to okay. it. So. Um, going back to actually the first question, I forgot to, to finish with the do's. Like, what makes a really good patient in physical therapy? Like, th maybe three things that you would say, I love it when my patients... Um, do their homework. Okay. Uh, do it well. Um, and they ask questions. They're inquisitive as to the process of what we're going through. Um, and they um, are willing to try the things that we give them. Okay. Um, kind of going to therapy with an open mind. Because there's sometimes that um, patients will question us inappropriately where 
if we're having them do a certain exercise and we have an objective in our mind that maybe not have been expressed to them as to why we're doing this, mm. um, to ask, you know, why are we doing this? You know, if the problem's my back, why am I doing this stuff with my arms? Sure. Um, or if I'm do my neck is the problem, why am I doing this stuff with my arms? There's reasoning behind what we do. And if, if you're not asking, then sometimes we may miss that opportunity to educate somebody on how they're going to improve off of this. And it helps give them a better buy into what's the, to what we're providing to them. Um, if a patient can buy into what's being provided to them, they have, tend to have a lot better outcomes than if they're going to have a negative outlook to it and just kind of always question things negatively, not mm. as asking questions positively. Sure. Um, all right. So to get into physical therapy, it's not just injuries. It's, you know, other things mm -hmm. that kind of happen out of the blue. But injuries are the more fun things to talk about, right? Yep. So <laughs> are there some injuries that you look back on? And of course, we won't say names or anything like that. But are there any things that you've experienced that you're like, whoa, this is crazy? Or the circumstance of how it happened? Yeah. Um, one, one that comes to my mind in particular is during one of my internships um, during PT school, I had this young lady who had experienced a traumatic brain injury in a motor vehicle accident. Mm. And um, really, I mean, she's pretty much dependent on her family for 100% of the things that she's doing. Um, she's able to breathe just fine, but they're feeding her, they're bathing her, they're moving her. Um, and so a lot of the stuff that we were doing is more just restoring as much mobility through her joints as possible because she's not able to voluntarily move. Things stiffen up, they tighten up, which in turn will cause pain later on. And if, you know, if we continue to let that go. Um, and so a lot of that was just mobility, just kind of getting her moving as much as we, as much as we could, restoring motion through the joints of the hands, elbows, wrists, shoulders, hips, knees, everything. Um, super sweet as could be. She was just always happy and upbeat. Um, but you know, those are the cases that are, that are kind of hard to, to see and deal with. Yeah. Um, knowing that the chances of any type of recovery based off of that level of trauma to the brain was, I mean, by the time I'd seen her, she'd been in this condition for probably a couple of years already. So, um, the best opportunities for any neurologic injury is usually within that first year. Mm. Um, that's where you're going to see the, the most recovery. And if we go beyond that point, you know, the chances of any type of recovery are, less sure um another gentleman that came to my mind uh ended up having to have his left and left arm and leg amputated mm. and so when i saw him um he still had what's called a wound vac on his upper extremity um that's just kind of helped keeping things clean uh, drawing out the extra fluid and stuff that's that's going in there so he doesn't get infection is it like a machine yep okay yeah okay. so there's a little hose that's kind of attached there it's towel taped up and it's uh essentially sealed with the tape so there's no uh, air that's getting to that area necessarily. It allows that to stay, keep a clean environment so that the tissue can heal properly without getting infection or chances of infection. So he had that on his upper extremity. His left lower extremity um, had had the amputation. The incision was healing well. Everything was fine. So really the objective of what we were doing is trying to get him as mobile as much as possible. This was before he got a prosthetic leg. So we're working on maintaining as much mobility out of his hip joint as possible. Um, what'll happen after these amputations in lower extremities, if you don't move enough, hip joint tightens up, knee joint times. It depends on where the amputation is. His was above the knee. So we're looking more at this, his hip. And if his hip joint tightens up in a bent position, walking is gonna be a real real problem when we get the prosthetic leg on. Yeah, okay. And so a lot of that's maintaining that mobility, watching the incision healing process, uh, managing the, the stump swelling that's, that's going on there because we want to try and get that as small as we can, as fast as we can to keep the swelling out of there because then as they start fitting in for a prosthetic, you know, that stump size is going to make a difference yeah, because as it okay. continues to reduce in swelling, they're going to have to change out the prosthetic oh, leg on a regular basis. And so a lot of that management early on. But again, this guy was 
super cool, super nice, very upbeat, positive attitude um, throughout the whole therapy, just very gracious in the services we were providing him. And it's really kind of neat and eye-opening, I think, for us as therapists, but also as other patients that are in there when they, they come in for their issue, right? They, everybody's got you know, their, their own problems, their pain, and not, yeah. not to you know, take away from their experience of pain, but you know, sometimes it's kind of an eye-opening moment for them to realize maybe mine's not as bad as I think it is sure. when they see something like that. And it really helps when that other person does have a positive attitude and they're just up being like, okay, this person could be really cool about what he's going through is like, I can make sure that I'm pretty cool about what I'm going through yeah, too. Yeah, no, that's a really good way so, of looking at it for yeah. sure. No. Um, okay, so I actually had heard a story of uh, somebody that came out of knee replacement mm -hmm. falling and I mean, it was pretty rough. <laughs> Do you have more info on that? So this individual, um, this is actually before my time here. Um, okay. Somebody I had worked, that I would work with before was telling me about this incident. It, that's what happened probably about a year or so before I got here. But um, he was saying that this patient, very first day coming in for therapy to get evaluated at right after having a knee replacement, which with us, usually what we do is we see a patient about two to three days after their knee replacement. So it's pretty mm. fresh. Okay. Um, and so this guy is getting out of his car, coming in. He falls down right by his car out in the parking lot and splits his knee wide open. Oh, man. Um, the therapist at the time helped get him in there try and clean things up. He calls the doctor right away, the, the surgeon, and tells him, he's like, hey, this patient had fallen down coming into our clinic. You know, the knee is split open. And the doctor tells him, okay, well, we'll clean him up, you know, make sure everything's looking good. Maybe send him down to the urgent care. He's like, no, you don't understand. He's like, I can see the, the serial number on that the prosthetic wild. that you used. I'm not sure if it was wow. really that bad, but yeah. he's saying that he could see down into the knee. And so mm. um, the surgeon at that point said, okay, send him on back to my office right away and we'll get it. And so he got fixed up. Uh, long story short, he recovered just fine. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> you know, he's able to get full recovery out of it. Pain had gone away ultimately after all that was said and done. But yeah, unfortunately, circumstances happen like that. And it's, I think the, the more we can kind of address those things in, a, in an appropriate professional manner, the best, the better the results yeah. will be afterwards. So absolutely. Um, all right. So uh, in my experience, I had in college, I had a chance to work with athletic trainers, now working with you guys over at Carlsbad Physical Therapy. Uh, one of the things that I think I value more than um, some of the things that maybe I should value more is the social aspect. Mm -hmm. Just being able to, you know, talk to people, you know, you're going through something that isn't super easy at mm -hmm. all times, um, but having somebody that's good to talk to, how huge is the social aspect of of physical therapy. That's a very big thing. I mean, again, you're kind of there commiserating with other people that are there with, with similar experiences, right? You're yeah. all kind of dealing with some level of pain, discomfort, injury, rehab, whatever it is that you're going through, you're all mm. experiencing kind of similar, similar thing. Um, and to kind of have that team of people there with you makes it easier for the patients, I think, to um, handle the recovery process. They have a support group that's there all the time. And, you know, there's many, I've had a number of patients actually become friends with other patients and they start calling and texting each other outside of the clinic, meet up and do stuff. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it kind of builds some friendships there, you know, being a smaller community, a lot of people know each other in there. So it's almost kind of like a meeting place, mm -hmm. you know, not like your local bar, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but sure. it's, a, it's a meeting place for the people. Um, and there's been other cases where this is sometimes the only contact they have outside of their home. Um, we've had some people that are not 
term is shut-ins, you know, people are kind of like confined to home, whether it be due to some illness or, um, you know, really, you know, very weakened, you know, they can't get out and, and ambulate or mobilize very well. Sure. And so they're just kind of stuck at home. And so in those cases, this becomes kind of a way for them to get out of the house, you know, communicate with other people. And um, I like to brag about our group. We have a really good group of therapists over there. Everybody's really open, upbeat, um, you know, happy to see everybody. And I think our, that helps to provide a good environment for that good camaraderie among the patients as well as the therapists. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's a really good thing to help, help with that. And not to mention, if, if we're able to relate to patients on a more personal level as well, it helps build that relationship of trust with them. You know, they're going to trust what we're doing with them, what we're asking them to do, knowing that we're not there to cause pain or hurt them. Right. Yeah. You know, there's always a joke that physical therapists are physical torturers or pain, pain specialists, whatever, <laughs> um, where they're there to hurt you. But realizing that, you know, we can joke, we've got lives, we, you know, um, but also ultimately we're there to, to help. And if we can build that relationship of trust there, have that good sense of relationship one with another, then it's going to help in that healing process as well. Sure. We talk about the fact that you like to run, you mm -hmm. like to stay in shape, that kind of thing. Um, how another important part of it, how important do you think it is to be like in shape while you're doing physical, like while you're doing this profession, you know, people coming right. in and saying, you know, you're making me do this, you're making me do that. And then they're like, well, but you do stuff too, you know, yeah. like, is yeah. it important? I think so. I, there's, let me give you two different examples. These are kind of scenarios that kind of stuck in my mind throughout the years. And so whenever I think about this kind of image that you kind of lay, uh, set out there is um, one of them back in uh, 2006, I ran my first marathon. Um, I trained for it for about a year, so didn't really get into a whole lot of the big training that you see online and books and things like that. I just kind of just started running and kept running. Yeah. Um, so I had this goal. That was my goal, and that's why I started running. I said, I'm going to do a marathon at some point in my life. And so I set a, picked a marathon, set a date for it, and uh, so I ran it. And day of the race comes, run it. My parents were there. They're at the finish line. And so I finished the race. I'm hammered. I just, like, so tired yeah and uh i'm just sitting on the ground just feeling just beat up and my mom lovingly and i love her to death but <laughs> she she just says and i don't think she's really thinking about it at the time she's like you know i was really impressed at how many people cross that finish line with white hair before you did oh wow <laughs> i'm like wow thanks mom <laughs> i just feel like i accomplished something and here you are with this low blow right but what i got from that was is you know anybody can do that you know, if you put in the right, right work, you know, right effort and stuff for it. And there are circumstances where, you know, some people probably shouldn't run based off of other health issues. Right. Um, but, you know, it just goes to show that people, anybody can accomplish big things with that regard. And um, fitness and health look very different in anybody's life. Um, so that's one thing that kind of stuck in my mind as far as, you know, having that image of health. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And staying fit. Um, the other example is my sister used to work for an insurance agency and her car had gotten hit by another vehicle or something like that. There's a big dent in the side of her car. And so one of their clients comes in there is like, I don't see how you guys can promote auto insurance when one of your employees has this big dent in the side of their car. Oh, wow. So yeah. again, it's kind of the flip side of that is, yeah. you know, how can you tell me to do these healthy things if you don't do healthy things, right? right? It's um, just kind of doing that hypocritical 
you know, thought process. And so that was another thing that was always kind of stuck in my mind is like, how can I ask people to do something that I myself can't do or are not willing to do? Sure. Um, and so running is more for myself. You know, I do exercise in the gym on a regular basis. I, I go mountain biking. I ride my bike on a regular basis. And But again, those are things for myself. Um, but at the same time, I know that that helps my patients because as we talk about, you know, how their exercises are going, oftentimes they ask me, how was your run this weekend? Or yeah. how was, you know, how was, you know, how was your soreness? Um, busted my foot last year running a race. And so I was in the clinic hobbling around on crutches for a couple of days and then just in a, in a boot for, you know, six weeks. And so it got, they got a kick out of it. Um, <laughs> I think if I would have uh, had my surgery at that time, I would have requested another therapist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, this guy's broken. I yeah. want the other guy. <laughs> I don't want to deal with I don't want to give him therapy, too, while I'm right. doing it. But, I mean, it just so. goes to show that, and everybody that I work with, fortunately, they all have their own kind of, like, exercise routines that they do. They all look very different based off of, you know, what their objective is and, and you know, what they want to accomplish yeah. with their own health. So sure. I think it's a very important thing. Um I'm sure you guys see athletes from the high school, you know, people that are or kids that are, you know, I don't know what it is, but it seems like lately ACLs um, have become huge on getting injured yeah. in baseball, UCLs, you know, strains, things like yep. that shoulders. Um, what would be some things that you would say, Hey, I want to just generalize a, a prevention method for mm -hmm. athletes. Like don't do these things or do these things mm -hmm. so that you can stay healthy and stay on the field or the court? Okay, that's a good question because, as you mentioned, it's something that has become a big issue. And, you know, one thing that we had noticed um, these last couple years, you know, um, everybody hates COVID and bringing yeah. up COVID. But one thing that we had seen and experienced from that is a rise in ACL ruptures from athletes. Um, and a lot of that was because they weren't able to do sports-specific exercise. Um, I know a lot of them were in the gym and they were exercising on weight machines, things like that, but they weren't out there doing drills. They weren't out there. They weren't you know, in like a, a competitive mode. Yeah, exactly. So they weren't going at a hundred percent their normal speed or even 80% of their normal speed because they weren't out there doing agility drills. They weren't out there sprinting. They weren't out there, you know, doing those things because they couldn't, you know, yeah, they were restricted. Yeah. And so when that first season came along, yeah, they'd been strong because they were in the gym lifting weights, but they weren't out there. You're especially thinking of football, because that's usually where I see the most ACL injuries is from football, is pivoting and cutting. You know, that the, yep. the time that your foot is in contact with the ground and then you have a, you know, somebody come and contact you from the side or you just pivot and turn wrong. You know, if you're not doing those types of drills on a regular basis, there's going to be weaknesses, there's going to be deficits. Um, weight training can only get you so far. You need, to, you need to work the speed, you need to work the agility. Um, fundamentals is big. Um, injuries that occur... More in particular with the, the young females is um, landing, you know, volleyball players, even soccer players, you know, if they're landing wrong, that's going to usually cause, you know, mm. an injury, whether that be a meniscus, whether that be an ACL or both. And that um, just, you can build that from just repetition? Just rep jump, jump, jump. Repetition, or? but also adding, you know, something we call perturbation training in there as well. So as they're coming down for a landing, you kind of give them a little bit of a nudge. So they're having to kind of compensate oh. or adjust for that landing a little bit better. And so we can... We can grade that level of training with them so that they become more accustomed to that. Their body can adapt to those types of stresses being placed on the body. Um, but if we're not getting those fundamentals in there, the landing training, the, the speed and agility, um, all those things, then injuries tend to occur. Because yeah. you can't get a guy that just comes straight out of the gym and have him run up and down the basketball court or running out on the football field. And 
you know, he's going to be at a more increased risk of injury if he hasn't done any other type of particular training for, sure. for those events. Um, I know there are some things like knee braces for football players to help prevent ACL injuries, things like that. So there's some, some stuff that's out there. Um, but another one that's big and, you know, just kind of, as you were talking about football, just kind of made me think about this is, um, I was listening to a podcast by Mike Reinhold about baseball players and, um, the longevity of an elbow, you know, especially pitchers, you know, yeah. who are throwing a lot and at high speeds is if they're doing this year in and year out and they're doing it all year long. So you're looking at not just a seasonal player, but somebody who's playing year round. Mm -hmm. um, you don't give that arm time to recover from the stress that you've just placed on it through the whole season. Um, one thing they kind of emphasized is, you know, more and more we're seeing kids that are specializing in one sport only um, at a very young age. And what's happening is they're, they're not developing other skills and the talents um, and uh, uh, developing the strength in other parts of their body to compensate or address these weaknesses they might develop over time yeah. from doing the same thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're talking about with this baseball is they don't have time for those ligaments in the elbow to heal up just right. Those, those muscle tendons in the, in the shoulder to recover just wider, sure. right. And, you know, strengthen it properly in the off season. And so looking more at diversifying what you're doing um, is helpful. I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, want their kid to, specialize in one sport it's like okay this is it football is your sport right this is your ticket right and so you're going to play this during the fall you're going to play it during the spring you're going to play it during the summer and you know you think about what happens to the body if it continues to have the same heavy stresses on it on a regular basis it tends to wear them down yeah not to mention it leads into another problem of burnout mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. how many kids burn out from a sport by the time they're done with high school because they played that one sport from middle school or even elementary yeah. school all the way up through high school and now they just they just can't do it anymore. Oh, I've seen and it so a lot. Yeah. The diversification of sports and activities helps prevent more of that burnout. You sure. know, because at that point they could realize, okay, I really like basketball, so that's what I'm going to stick with. Mm -hmm. Or I really like tennis, or I really like, you know, football, or I really like volleyball or soccer, whatever it is. You know, they can choose at some point to, okay, this is going to be my sport, but making sure you have proper time for healing yeah. in the off season. I always think that's interesting because we talk to kids all the time about what do you want to do with your life? Like, what do you, what job do you want? You know? And, and I would say most of the time they change that throughout the course of college, maybe mm -hmm. even after college. I know I did. I'm mm -hmm. still doing it, you know? Um, but they're 10 years old and they know what sport they're going to do for the rest of their life. Right. So it's like, we, can we find a way to influence them in another way to go? Let's do more. Right. Uh, or, or try more things. Right. Um, so prevention uh, in the sport, you talk about like the training aspects. Mm -hmm. Is there any like cheat codes that you have for us? Like you should eat more of this. The, you know, this is better for inflammation or this device. If you buy it, you know, after games, use it. And then it's going to help you stay strong or healthy. Um, I don't think there's necessarily any cheats because nothing's actually going to make you better, faster, stronger than actually doing the activity, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the nutrients and things like that. I'm not going to claim to be an expert with nutrients or anything like that, but, you know, having your, your appropriate proteins and stuff, those are the building blocks of our body. If, mm. if we're tearing them down on a regular basis through our activity and our, our sports or activity, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, we need to make sure we're replenishing that, we're rebuilding that. Um, carbohydrates is the main source of our energy, right? If we don't have good carbohydrates being placed into your body, 
then refueling it with garbage. You know, it's a mad, if you go to the gas tank, you don't want to put water in your gas tank. You don't want to put sugar in your gas tank, right? Yeah. You want to put the right type of fuel, the right grade of fuel in there to have, to optimize your, your performance. So cookies and, and cake, yeah. stuff so, like that. So Good those, stuff. those types of sugars, those <laughs> types of carbohydrates, is like pouring sugar in your gas tank, sure. right? You're just going to ruin your engine. You're going to ruin your body. Mm. Um, and so there's the right types of carbohydrates, the right types of sugars you want to be putting in there. But then there's also anti-inflammatory foods, things like that. You know, cinnamon's anti-inflammatory. Turmeric oh. is helpful. So some of those natural sources there. Um, and one of the diets that claims the, the most in being anti-inflammatory in nature is your Mediterranean diet. Okay. So a lot of good foods that are there. I'm not going to say that you have to eat Mediterranean food. But what are some uh, examples? Diets, but, um, so um, some is like a, a nice pasta dish, you know, not heavy on the carbs of the pasta, but like with, with some shrimp and tomatoes, olives, artichokes, okay. things like that. Um, those kinds of things help in that, in that inflammatory reduction process. So if we're looking at chronic pain, chronic inflammation, things like that, getting into a diet, something like that is going to be more helpful versus getting a lot of carbs, a lot of sugars, things like that, that are going to make, that tend to have more of an inflammatory response in our body. Okay. And so if we're dealing with injuries, we don't want to feed that inflammatory response. We want to kind of mm. kick it to the curb if we can, as yeah. much as we can. So, okay, let's, I'm going to flip it. So instead of prevention, we, you were talking about like sugars and, and those types of things. What else would like, um, push more inflammation through your body? Is alcohol a part of that? Is there other things? Um, that are, you know, I'm not, I don't drink alcohol, so I, I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm not as familiar with the alcohol part of that. Um, other than the fact that I know it's not good calories that you're putting into your body, they're empty calories. And so, again, calories are that fuel source for our body, making sure those calories are good sources. Again, you're coming from your proteins, your, your good carbohydrates and things like that. Um, but I wouldn't recommend somebody drinking and going out for a race or anything like right, that. It's probably sure. not going to go over so well. Yeah. In fact, there was a, a race that me and some friends were doing out in uh, uh, Napa Valley and San Francisco area, and me and this one of my teammates were waiting for our another one of our teammates to come into this uh, checkpoint and this other guy comes around the corner he has to step off to the side of the road starts vomiting <laughs> gets going a little bit further about another 10 feet and vomiting on the side of the road again and this other guy that's standing next to us he's like that's the uh that's the result of partying the night before and drinking <laughs> and not training appropriately yeah so i mean again if you want your body to perform the way it needs to perform put the fuel in it that needs to, mm. that's going to get you where you need to go. Um, I want to talk about my injury, ACL tear, mm -hmm. um, reconstructed through surgery and all that stuff. Could you give me the like super cliff notes version of like what happens when they reconstruct an ACL? So there's different types of material that they use for these, the new ACL, right? Um, so in your case, they used a quad tendon. So yes. that's the tendon just that attaches to the top of your kneecap, goes up into the quad muscle. Um, they utilize that. They can also use the patellar tendon, which is a tendon just that attaches to the bottom of your kneecap and attaches down onto your, your shin. Um, they utilize that. That's one of the more common ones they do for younger athletes, at least in this area here. Um, hamstring is another one. Uh, they take the hamstring and another muscle mm. and they kind of braid that together. Um, they also will use a cadaver graft. So they'll take the Achilles tendon from a body, um, a donor body, and um, utilize that. Mm. Um, there's pros and cons to each one, um, as you can imagine. And, uh, you know, with the Achilles from a cadaver, you know, that's not your tissue. So, you know, there is potentials for rejection in those cases. But yeah. they've really reduced that with their, their um, methods for, like, 
sanitizing the, the, the body tissue and things like that. And, um, but uh, so yours, they took a part of your quad tendon, they kind of take a, the middle portion out of it. So not taking like a whole side or anything like that. It's not taking the whole tendon, just a, a small section of it, and that will regrow over time. Um, and then they go in, clean out the old um, ACL. They mm -hmm. take the, cut those pieces out that are still kind of floating around in there. Drill a hole through your femur and your tibia, and then they'll thread the new tendon through. And they'll, so crazy. they'll anchor it down on both mm. sides so it now stays in place. Um, and they have to make sure the orientation of it's right so they have the right, you know, they can put the tension on it. It's going to be as normal as they possibly can. Um, so you back up, and then there's certain protocols that you need to follow to maintain good healing process, make sure avoiding putting extra stress on that quad tendon. So, you know, you taking the quad tendon or even the patellar tendon initially, there's uh, activities that we avoid where we're loading the quad too much because then we can start creating injury in the quad tendon now. Um, if we're loading that too much too soon. So okay. there's a kind of a, a healing process we go through. So as you know, we've kind of told you certain things you can't be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, can't be going and running until, like I say that four months. And, you know, can't really be doing squatting and um, things when like that. When does squatting typically, like, come into play? We start looking at that close to, like, seven to eight weeks. Body weight? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, and so we'll get into that, you know, in another sure. month almost. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, again, there are protocols that – based off of all the research that goes into it, where we can start kind of hitting some of these milestones. But that being said, um, some of the best practices of ACL rehab is going more off of this like task-based functional improvements. So if you were to still be limping when you came into the clinic, even though I can now time-wise progress you to a certain point, I may still hold you back until we get good walking mechanics. Okay. Because that tells me there's still a deficit somewhere. We need to address that deficit, clear that up, and then once we have good walking mechanics, okay, now we're clear to start doing this next progression of activities. Yeah. And so some people are kind of fixed on the timeline. Um, I try to let my patients know that it's not necessarily timeline-based, although we do like to go along that, but if I'm still seeing those deficits in your recovery, I may hold it back a little bit till we so we've mastered that task, and then we can move on to the next ones. Sure. Um, and there's usually criteria that we need to meet in order to be, in order for us to move on to the next phase mm. of rehab. Okay. Yeah, because one of the things that I definitely noticed after being in rehab for it and everything is I almost forgot how to walk with my mm -hmm. right leg. Yeah. And just recently, I realized this is the best place to land on my foot mm -hmm. and I think it came from conversation but also we use like balance boards mm -hmm. and, and trying to make sure that everything's stable now I feel a lot more confident um just walking so yeah. it's such a weird thing that I felt just physically like okay I know I've got somewhere to be but then mentally I realized I better use my brain a little bit more <laughs> you know what I mean like right. just to change what I'm doing so that was uh, definitely interesting um what else? You, you, you recommend the nine-month method for coming back to sports? Yes. Yeah, so there are some doctors that will still kind of go, and that six months is the le earliest that okay. they would uh, say you can return back to sport. And there are some doctors that still kind of go off of that six-month time frame. Um, the literature more and more has been pointing towards this nine-month um, return to sport. And that's so much more. Yeah. So <laughs> like, it is a lot. And, and for those people who are professional athletes and things like that, or even these young athletes for the schools, that's a long time. That's your season. It is. Yeah. Right. And so now, okay, now I'm waiting till next year to get back into play, um, which is good because it gives them appropriate time to get the proper training and, and recovery. But um, with that, 
they've found that even though we have these other markers that we look for, we're looking for at least 80% quad strength in that, in that mm. leg in comparison to the other before any of that. We really like to have more like 95% of quad strength equal to the other side. Um, hamstring strength, quad muscle size, so the girth of the thigh, um, as well as size of the calf. We kind of talked about a little bit today. You know, calf muscle kind of takes a hit too. Um, so those things, and there's some hop tests that kind of go along with oh, that okay. as well. So even if somebody can meet these criteria at six months, there's still an increased risk of re-injury going back into sport at six months. And so all the research that they found is that even though they meet these other criteria, there's still a time component that we can't cheat that we find ha greatly reduces risk of okay. re-tearing, re-injuring that knee. And going away from that knee to the other knee, mm -hmm. is it an increased risk because it's been doing so much to take care of the other one? Not necessarily. No, it's, nope. it's just strengthened. It's fine. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, as you've noticed, a lot of the therapy includes both legs, yeah. right? So we're getting just as much strength on that leg as we are the other. Um, the idea is we're just trying to get this right one to catch up to the other mm -hmm. um, ultimately in the end. And so when we get to a little more of the agility stuff, maybe some bounce up, we start getting to some single leg stuff then that's where we kind of bias the right a little bit more than the left. But a lot of the training goes into both sides. And so it gets just as much training as the other. And so you're learning those fundamentals. You're learning those mechanics on the unaffected side just as much as you are on the affected side. Sure. Okay. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm super competitive. <laughs> so what is the fastest you've seen somebody recover? I'm, I'm like, I'm going to beat it by, ten week, by two weeks. Right. Challenge um, accepted. <laughs> All right. So last part of the uh podcast today, I really wanted to get into some quick answers uh -huh. of things that you would recommend to help treat the following. Because okay. I know a lot of people that maybe watch have these things, whether they you know are watching it for this reason or they're uh -huh. just watching it to watch it. Um, so anyways, things that you would help treat the following, headaches. Um, headaches oftentimes, in many cases that we see, result from issues with the neck. Okay. So treatments to the neck and those treatments vary based off of kind of what's going on there. So really um, treating a headache, if it's not going to be resolved with ibuprofen um, and it's something that's long lasting, get evaluated, get that checked out. Because again, there's some stuff that's going on in the neck possibly that might be causing that issue and it can be a simple fix in many cases. Um, uh, so we'll treat it with therapeutic treatments, whether that be soft tissue ma massage, something like that. Um, trigger point, I'll do dry needling and stuff up through those areas as well. Sometimes you get some of those deep muscles that are just, just tight and not letting go. Um, and that can cause some issues. Um, treat, retraining movement patterns, posturing, things like that. People who tend to adapt more of this slouch yep. posture more and more <laughs> these days as we're working with electronics, we're on our cell phones, we're on tablets, we're on laptops, whatever it is, it tends to dry into that more forward posture. So posturing is big for all of that. Uh, and then some general strengthening with, with posture. Um, a lot of it's just kind of like educational, just kind of teaching some of that stuff. But in many cases, we do have people who have stiffness of the spine because they've adopted that posture for so long mm. that now the spine is kind of stiff in that area. So you get stiffness up through the upper thoracic spine, up in the neck. And um, oftentimes you'll see people that have like x-ray results where their neck is kind of flattened out in this like protruded mm. forward position um, and trying to restore some of that through some manual techniques that we use. Um, some educational things that we teach them for homework, you know, as part of that, part of their, their part of the therapy is to do their homework and make sure they're working on that. Okay. Um, so just a lot of it's going to be behavioral, uh, education, behavioral changes okay. they need to do. Um, at, especially after we've done the treatments, they need to make sure they're monitoring that. It's not going to do any good if we do these treatments for them, they go home and yeah, slouch right. and slump sitting in front sure. of their computer on their phone or in front of the TV or whatever. So what about those like arm straps that kind of 
pull you up. Do you ever see those? Or use I, those? I've seen them. Um, I there's been maybe only one time that I've ever said, you know, in this case, it might be beneficial okay. for them. Um, but times with braces, that's always kind of a tricky one because anytime you're using some sort of artificial assistance to help you in one way or another, you know, the the thought and mentality we have is, are we now going to take away what the muscle needs to be doing? Right. Yep. Right. So those muscles that do that. So Makes again, sense. going into like headaches or neck pain or anything like that, a lot of it is just strengthening some of that upper thoracic postural muscles um, and even the lower back because oftentimes it starts in the low back and it carries on up through the neck. Mm. But if we can strengthen all those postural muscles appropriately, then it's going to have a lot more endurance, a lot more strength to do the task you need to be doing. And then again, as you're building that more of that awareness for the posturing, then it's going to help keep those muscles active and engaged a lot better than they, than they have been. Okay. Um, what about muscle cramps? Any you know, quick advice for mus muscle cramps? Uh, muscle cramps, stretch it out, hydrate. Um, I've, mustard? I've heard of mustard. I've never tried it <laughs> oh, myself, yeah. uh, only unless it's on a sandwich. There you um, go. But uh, pickle juice is another one that people will say. I've never, I don't mind a pickle on a sandwich, but eating, drinking pickle juice plain is, seems awfully terrible. I tried one of those <laughs> pickle juice snow cones. Oh, yeah. And those are just nasty. Really? I don't like it. Holy I know smokes. other I know other people that love them, but not oh, me. Man. I had one bite and not, nope, I was good. <laughs> so, but, you know, there's a lot of, because of the uh, electrolytes and stuff that are in those, that helps to restore those electrolyte levels and some of those muscles that are over fatigued that's causing them to cramp up in those certain circumstances. Um, dehydrated is going to be kind of another cause of that. So okay. um, making sure you're rehydrating with water, with electrolytes and, you know, other things like mustard, I mm -hmm. guess can help with some of that. Yeah. Um, um, and then, you know, soft tissue massaging, kind of roll that out. Foam rolling is always a nice thing for some of that stuff. When you kind of stretch it out a little bit, you don't want to and the act of cramp, you may not necessarily want to be foam rolling it, but stretch it out a little bit first. <laughs> As <laughs> and then it's foam hurting at yeah, its worst. Exactly. So after you've kind of got it stretched out a little bit, it's now easing off, and then you can start getting to some foam rolling and start stretching that out a little bit better. Okay. Um, and then some heat can kind of help with that a little bit as well. Um, joint pain, not from surgery, but just, you know what, my elbow's been hurting me. Something that might help with that. What do you see? Um, Depends on kind of the, again, the origin of what the pain is, you know, so you talk about joint pain, but oftentimes there may be a muscular component to that. Mm. Um, so you talk about the elbow, tennis elbow is a very common one, golfer's elbow, another one. Um, so is there something that they've been doing overactively, you know, repetitively that's now causing some of this pain? Or is it just general pain that you're having kind of first thing in the morning? It's stiff, achy and sore, you know, we're talking a little bit more about more of like an arthritic or degenerative joint. Uh, pain that tends to respond really well to like moist heat, you know, things like oh, okay. that. First thing in the morning, kind of get things moving a little bit. Wait, what um, is moist heat? Like you mean like a like a wet hot towel? Yeah, or? like wet hot towel. Your shower, things like that. You can oh. soak it in a you know a sink full of hot water or something like that. Um, for some of those arthritic uh, changes, like rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, um, you can use like a heating pad, and where they work fine. But usually, the moist heat can kind of penetrate a little bit deeper and get okay. a little better soothing effect for that. Um, and in those cases too, joint movement in general is important. If it's degenerative, you know, it's kind of that I catch 22 or that double edged sword. It's like, it hurts to move, but at the same time, it's the best thing for that joint. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what helps provide the lubricant, you know, it helps provide the nutrients for that joint as you kind of keep moving it throughout, throughout your day. Um, what's to be said about fish oils? Or anything um, like that, supplements. Fish oils are supposed to be good for the joint. Um, you know, glucosamine chondroitin has always been kind of coming up and uh, you'll hear that quite a bit. And I know there's some research out there, but I think that there's still some conflicting research as to whether or not it's really effective. Okay. You know, you can try it. Worst thing that's going to happen to you is it doesn't work and you just 
spend 30 bucks on <laughs> a So there's a no bottle. side effects? Or there might be some. As long as you don't have allergic reactions to anything sure. like that. Um, usually side effects, not really. Okay. Um, not that I've heard anyway. Um, but, you know, things like that might help with some generalized joint pain, things like that. But, again, movement. Overall strengthening of the joint around it, those muscles that surround that area are helpful. Um, if your joint's not moving the way that it's supposed to, you know, there's some offset there somewhere due to uh, muscle imbalances, um, weaknesses in certain areas. And so it's not moving as smoothly as it should. Sure. You know, generalized strengthening can oftentimes help get things back on track okay. and uh, help alleviate a lot of that, that symptoms. All right. We have about two minutes left. The last thing I wanted to ask you about was negativity in, you know, your mindset and stuff like mm -hmm. that. What would be like a, a remedy you can think of that's like, you know what, this is how we shift to the positive mindset for recovery? Um, that's a good question because, you know, a lot of people come in and they're having pain, right? And so how they perceive that pain is going to be individual. Uh, I have some people who are just super chill and, you know, they have their pain and they're, you know, tell me about it and we work through it. But there's others that, you know, don't feel like whatever it is we're doing is going to help. Sure. You know, they come in first day and it's like, I don't think this is going to help. It's like, well, you know, a mentality like that, probably not. Um, there is definitely a psych psychological component to pain. Um, and if we can understand that and realize that, I think it helps us overcome some of those, that negativity mm. or helps us overcome maybe our perception of no improvement as far as where we're going in therapy. Um, and uh, it's really hard as a therapist to kind of push all this positivity on them and they still right. kind of maintain that negative attitude. You know, we always try to show them where their progresses are being made. Um, I've had patients where I've treated them for a little while and, you know, we're seeing huge gains, but then they come and it's like, I just feel the same. I just really? feel the same. It's uh -huh. like, I, just, I still hurt. I still hurt. And I think a lot of the times because that mentality is focused on the pain aspect of it, not necessarily what their functional capacity or abilities are. Mm -hmm. And so we oftentimes will have to break down. We show them through numbers, through measurements and stuff that we've done, um, feedback that we've gone as far as tasks they're now able to do they weren't able to do two wow. months ago, you know, things like that. Try to feed that information back to them. They've, they've kind of been feeding to us for a little while and let them know it's like, hey, you're making gains. You're improving. You're looking better. Things yeah. are coming along nicely. And I think if we can help them see where they're improving, where they're making those gains, it helps them change that ad attitude a little bit more about that negativity toward what it is that we're doing, where they are in their recovery. And I've had a number of cases where patients came in say, telling me, I don't think this is going to work. It's like, you know, I've, I have all these things. They list off a whole slew, a whole shopping yeah. list of, you know, diagnoses or comorbidities. And like, I don't think this is going to help me. And then we get them going. Some, in some cases, day one, we see like an immediate change in what they're feeling. And then there's that kind of like that aha, light, light turning <laughs> yeah. on moment. It's like, oh, okay, well. And they've had a kind of a change around in, in that, uh, that moment, have that buy-in to what it is that we're doing. They kind of change that perception from that negative to now more of a positive outlook. Sure. And you kind of went back, or going back to what you talked about, the social side of it too, is you know, that environment that you're in with other people that are in those same situations, that can help with that too. Yep. You know, again, having that support group that helps you through that pain or that discomfort or the experiences they're having. And you say, oh yeah, I, I felt that too, but you know, just keep going, it gets better. And those kinds of things, I think, help change some of that negative personality type. And a lot of that, I think, is kind of the environment that you're, that you're in can make yeah. a big difference too, so. Okay. Awesome. Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. Really do appreciate it. Learned a lot. <laughs> I feel like I had so many more questions for you. Maybe we can, uh, I'll learn more about this soon, but uh, thanks again. I really do appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks, Trey, for having me.
Guys, tonight's podcast is, uh, was brought to you by Lucky Bull Grill. Um, upstairs at the Lucky Bull Grill will be open in the new year, so definitely uh, worth checking out and some events that will be happening as well. So a big thanks to our sponsors. Thanks for watching the All Sports Best Podcast.